Welcome back to Reality Asserts Itself. I'm Paul Jay. We're continuing our discussion with Daniel Ellsberg. Daniel, in the uh, 1959-1960, there is a, a race, because we understand, we, the population, understood that there was a missile gap. We were told that the uh, Russians had something between 40 and 60 intercontinental ballistic missiles, which they could either first strike or second strike the United States. There had to be a great race to create more and more ICBMs here. Um, the possibility, the discussions in, inside the military, the strategic planning is all based on a potential really first strike because most people believe this number of, of the numbers of ICBMs that Russia, Soviet Union had that was such a threat, and you made a rather alarming discovery. Well, first of all, the estimate of 40 to 60, which was uh, pretty much in 1962, at the time of the missile crisis, uh, based on a lot of satellite photography, was much lower than was estimated earlier from 58, 59, 60. The uh, Air Force uh, had a higher estimate. The, the, even the CIA official estimate in 1961 was well over 100. Uh, I think it was like 120. The uh, State Department estimate was like 160. The Air Force was much higher than that. And in August of 1961, the then commander of Strategic Air Command uh, I was told when I was at Omaha, at the base there, that was Thomas Power, believed that there were then a thousand Soviet ICBMs. This was at a time when the estimate was much lower, as I say, between 120 and 160, but a thousand is what he believed. Now, as you look back, you say, how could I have been working on plans of this nature? It wasn't to carry out a nuclear war. I thought that would be catastrophic in any case. I was shocked when I learned that the Joint Chiefs understood how catastrophic it would be, hundreds of millions, but I did believe that um, uh, it would be catastrophic and that the way to deter a Soviet surprise attack was by presenting them with the assured capability of destroying a large part of their society for deterrence, that nothing else would do. That was because my colleagues and I accepted, and certainly the intelligence communities, perceived and projected the image of Stalin's Russia and then his successors as Hitler with nuclear weapons. And that they would uh, bend no effort, they would bend every effort to achieve the ability to destroy us or at least to blackmail us into submission. And since they had achieved ICBMs uh, launching faster than we have, that was almost the one point on which we didn't lead the arms race. Uh, it was assumed that they would move ahead quickly, build a lot of ICBMs, so they would have this capability against our bomber bases before we had ICBMs, International Continental Ballistic Missiles. It was taken for granted by all my colleagues that we were greatly outnumbered, the so-called missile gap. And Eisenhower actually didn't accept that, uh, but he was regarded as a doddering old man who was uh, playing golf all the time and uh, simply not with it. We really looked down on him because the Air Force thought that was almost a treasonable uh, estimate, which was also being made by the Army and Navy on the same basis of uh, data. What was their estimate? Little data. And theirs was a few. Well, that's pretty different from 160 or let alone 1,000. So my Air Force colleagues thought the Army and Navy 
who were lowballing the estimate so as to keep a ceiling on the Air Force budget for missiles in their favor uh, were literally being treasonous. That was a word I did hear at a, at a haven't heard it much until recently now. Uh, that the Army and Navy were being The treasonous. Army and Navy were, were doing this. Now, in late, just after the estimate of 1,000 in August, in September, we finally got full coverage of the ICBM possible sites in Russia with our satellites, which were a very secret program, which my colleagues at RAND were not privy to at top secret level. It was higher than top secret. There were only a handful of people at RAND who and, knew and, and why were you? Why did you have access? I didn't. I was in the Pentagon. I didn't have the clearance. But people made a security lapse in a way. I was there and uh, saw a new estimate and was told in a security breach in a way, which was almost unprecedented, I never, not before or after, people told me something that I didn't have the clearance for. And I couldn't share it with Rand because uh, we would all have lost our access had I spread this around. But the, the news was this, that what the Soviets had at that time was four ICBMs. Four. Not 40, not 160, not 1,000, but four. Now, that remained, by the way, relatively unknown to the public. Very late in the game, even uh, Richard Rhodes' excellent book, his second book on the nuclear program, on the H-bomb, many years later, was still saying that what they had then was not what had been predicted, but only 40. But that's 10 times more than they actually had. So they had essentially nothing. They had not uh, sought a first strike force at all. Uh, which they could have had with their original missiles, inefficient and large and clumsy as they were. They could have had a first So how does that fit with the narrative? The Russians are coming, the, the yeah. Soviet threat, they're going to it take over the world. It should have led to a whole reconsideration of the framework here because uh, it wasn't just that they couldn't afford to. They clearly hadn't felt that was high priority to have that capability. The notion that they were aching to take over Western Europe at the earliest possibility, or to destroy the U.S. as their main rival, was clearly something wrong with it. And it was, it was actually wrong. But as Ray Gartoff, a high intelligence person, later an ambassador, uh, wrote, he was rapporteur for a group that was saying, what's the significance of the new estimates for an interagency group, intelligence group that was doing that? And he reported much later in a little Brookings Institution book that the premise of their study was, do we have enough? Are our forces adequate in face of the new estimates? He said the answer was, yes, they're, they're adequate. And we were planning for a thousand Minutemen or more. The Air Force wanted 10,000 Minutemen missiles, solid fuel Minutemen missiles. To argue for 10,000 or even a thousand was not so easy when the Russians had four. But they were adequate. It was not, it was not uh, too, too few. As Gartov points out, no one asked the question, could there be too many? Do we need this many? And could we reconsider our whole approach of whether it's possible to negotiate a missile test ban or a testing, an ICBM, an H-bomb test ban? It was taken for granted that these Hitlers with nuclear weapons would not negotiate seriously any more than Hitler would have. And Hitler would not. The Soviets would have, and almost by almost everything we know now, would have been happy. What this indicated was 
they hadn't built the weapons even without an agreement uh, that limited ours. So if we were willing to limit ours, which we weren't, uh, could they have been kept down to a very low number? I think very likely so. We now know that Khrushchev, in this respect, was like Gorbachev. He wanted to cut down spending on uh, the military altogether and nuclear weapons in general. And yes, he almost certainly would have done that. We didn't think of even, actually they proposed things like that, but didn't take that seriously at all. We needed the missiles, we wanted the missiles, in part for political economic reasons in 1961. As the, as the man who examined me for my PhD orals, uh, professor, economics professor Arthur Smithies, was then a consultant on economic matters to President Kennedy. And he was telling him at a time when the recession threatened, the Minutemen program is something you can turn up or go down if you wanted to cool off the economy. It's a Keynesian lever here. And uh, uh, McNamara at the same time was saying, I really can't justify more than say 400 missiles because that will pretty well annihilate the Soviet Union. But if I go for less than a thousand, we will be impeached. And you can impeach not only presidents, but SecDefs. And uh, they, they couldn't, for political reasons, they thought, turn off that production line, uh, get it down. And so we went for a thousand. Actually, he was going, he had a thousand in mind. He didn't admit that to the Air Force. Uh, the Air Force wanted a minimum of 1,600. He was getting down to 1,400 and 12. But he always had in mind that at the end, a nice round, a thousand was what he was aiming at. But the others would have been in full revolt to Congress had he said that at the time. Writing about his discovery that the Soviet Union had only four ICBMs and not the 1,000 estimated by the U.S. Air Force, Daniel Ellsberg writes in his book, Doomsday Machine, I've gone into all of this to emphasize that the credibility of this new estimate, fantastic, inherently incredible to anyone who had been relying on Air Force estimates or even CIA estimates, depended on knowledge of a kind of information that most people in the national security field, inside and outside the government, had no inkling existed. From the internal leaks, unauthorized disclosures, to me within the bureaucracy, I did believe it, even though it totally contradicted the fundamental basis for my concerns and work for the past several years. It wasn't just a matter of numbers, though that alone invalidated virtually all of the classified analysis and studies I've read and participated in for years. Since it seemed clear that the Soviets could have produced and deployed many, many more missiles in the three years since their first ICBM test, it put into question and virtually demolished the fundamental premise that the Soviets were pursuing a program of world conquest like Hitler's. Please join us for the next part of our series of interviews with Daniel Ellsberg on Reality Asserts Itself.